invite those guys to Christmas Eve. We're going to celebrate. The ability to wait well is not only hard to do, but it is something that is considered a positive attribute for those people who can do it. Daniel Goleman, the psychologist who wrote the book Emotional Intelligence, says that the ability to wait well, the ability to delay gratification, is a master aptitude for developing personal maturity and growth. Now, that does not bode well for broken and imperfect people, because not all of us wait well. I mentioned last week how entitled we feel with Amazon Prime in this world that we live in, and sure enough, uh, Amazon Prime was about a week late, and then told us they were going to be another week late on some other gifts, and then even Kohl's was late with uh, gifts for our child at Parmley, and and, uh, I was pretty frustrated over that. And um, Gwen brought up how silly it is to be frustrated over that when just, you know, 10 years ago, if you wanted something, you sent in an email or you made a phone call or your written request. And, you know, it might come by freight a week or two later, unless you paid some exorbitant fees at the time for overnight uh, express. Uh, Things have really changed. But my entitlement, my inability to wait has really ramped up. Uh, because I'm used to getting what I want when I want it. Our inability to control our impulses to delay gratification actually goes back to the garden. We are reminded that Adam and Eve could not wait and obey God's command. We're in a waiting time of year with long lines everywhere, whether it's in traffic or in line or a curbside pickup. We've been waiting on a, a year on COVID-19 to somehow change and be gone. Perhaps the vaccines uh, will bring that to fruition. I read an interview with Matthew McGonaghy this week, and uh, he likened the all the anticipation that we're going through with COVID and and all the limbo that we face to anticipation fatigue. He said, you know, we get all excited, we hear something's going to change, and then it doesn't. And we wake up and everything's still the same, and we're just tired of waiting on things like that. When you think about our faith journey with God, as we look throughout Scripture, and as you consider your own experience, The truth is that our faith journey is filled with lots of waiting rooms. That God likes for us to wait on him. It may be for a lot of different reasons. Last week we looked at developing joy in the waiting, deepening our maturity in Christ, becoming more like Christ, transforming as we wait. And that's our call. Goldman says those who wait well, have the master aptitude leading to personal maturity. Well, we want to be followers of Jesus who wait well. Followers of Jesus who can delay gratification. And to do that, we need to have hope. Uh, 
So last week we looked at joy in the waiting room. This week we look at hope, having hope, that which draws us forward as we wait on God, because we don't know what God is doing, and we don't know where the waiting room is going to lead. But he often calls us to wait. Sometimes it's on a relationship. Sometimes it's on a job. Sometimes it's on finances getting corrected or getting out of debt. There are all kinds of things that God calls us to wait on. I'm sure you can think of one or two right now as you consider your own life. Today we're going to look at the song of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, this sermon series on the songs of Christmas. And as we look at Simeon, we see an older gentleman who has been waiting and who actually shows us the way to wait. He's a gentleman who has been waiting on the Messiah, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit so that he can praise and prophesy regarding Jesus. And that's the beauty of what we get to see in the process as we look at the way that he carries on, the way that he waits with hope, we get not only a model, but essentially an implied exhortation to follow in the same pathway. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll be in verses 21 to 35 today. And my prayer is that uh, essentially we will see that we wait well by placing our hope in Jesus. Now, it sounds like a good Sunday school answer, doesn't it? Wait well by placing our hope in Jesus. But let's just try to see as we unpack a little bit of Simeon's life, how that applies to us and how we can tease that out. So in verses 21 to 26, we see that we wait well by holding hope in the promises of God. So if we're going to place our hope in Jesus, we've got to place our hope in the promises of God. That's what we see here at the start. Simeon was a, a member of the believing remnant of Israel. He was filled with the Spirit of God. He was taught by the Word of God, and he was obedient to the will of God. He was an exemplary model of an Old Testament saint. And that's what we're going to see in these verses. But first, the context. I'm not going to read verses 21 to 24, but what we have there is Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus to the temple. They're going to bring Jesus to the temple. They do it first in verse 21 on the eighth day. That's his circumcision day, and that's the day that they name him. And they name him Jesus, because that's what Matthew is told in Matthew chapter 1 by the angel. And so they name him Jesus, a name that means he will save his people from, his sin, from their sins. Then on verses 22 to 24, we see on the 33rd day, they go for the ritual of purification. When a woman had a baby, she was considered unclean. This was not a sinful act. It's just an unclean act. And so according to the law of God, she had to go on the 33rd day to the temple and do the rites of purification. And likely because Joseph was involved in the birth process there in the stable, then 
he was needing this rite of purification. And there were actually three ceremonies there. There was the rite of purification. There was the presentation of the firstborn to the Lord and the dedication of the firstborn to the Lord's service. So there are actually four ceremonies here in verses 21 to 24. And what that shows us, it gives us a little significance in the, the upbringing of Jesus that he was raised by pious parents. He was raised by parents who had faith and who sought to honor God by doing his will. Jesus had roots in pious faith. Well, that's the context for us in verses 21 to 24. They are now at the temple. And in verse 25, we see Simeon. He enters the picture and he's a man of God whose life his life mission, his life purpose revolves around, is oriented toward doing what God has called him to do. His focus is strictly on God and what God wants him to do. So in verse 25, we see him characterized as a godly man. It says this, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We're told he's a righteous man here, and that simply means that he's a man who wants his life to be marked by holiness. He wants his conduct to be right according to the will of God. And so as he looks to God, he also submits to God. We're told he's devout, and this is more of an attitude of the heart that he is committed to the Lord with his life. So righteous and devout, those are pretty powerful words here that describe Simeon to us. And you may or may not see yourself in one or both words, but they are certainly descriptions that we long for, that we desire to see played out in our own lives, in the character of our life. Perhaps the biggest phrase here is the one that he is looking for the consolation of Israel. He is a man who understands the Old Testament scripture. He's a man who has studied scripture and he is looking for the promised one. He is looking for Messiah, the one who is the consolation of Israel, the one who will console Israel, the one who will restore Israel to its glory days. He is the Messiah. You know, when we look through Old Testament saints' lives, we often see them orienting their life around what God wants. We see them with a submission that leads to action, a submission that leads to worship, a submission that leads to love of God. Simeon is a man who knew God's word. And what that did for him was give him greater hope. He had a confident expectation, a certain expectation that God was going to work. He could look back through the Old Testament scripture and he could see how God had made promises to Moses and to Joshua and to Gideon through all the saints of the Old Testament and how God had showed up and kept his promise. He knew that he could take God at his word. And so when he saw throughout the prophets that the Messiah was coming, he began to look for the Messiah. He established hope in the promises of God, and that allowed him to wait well. 
And then we see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And I think it's significant that we see that he was looking for the consolation of Israel before we're told that the Holy Spirit was upon him. So I don't think he was doing that because the Holy Spirit was upon him. I think he had oriented his life that way. And then God brought, as he did in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit put upon him for a special service, a special act. And what he's going to do is he's going to praise Jesus, declare who he is, and he's going to prophesy about Jesus to Joseph and Mary. He was a man who had hope, a certain expectation. Now, what does hope look like? Well, it looks like a, a combination of things, right? A trust, an expectation. When we think about biblical hope, we think about a certain expectation that will be filled. I'll, I'll give you a, a cheesy illustration, uh, no pun intended, but uh, when my oldest son, Nate, my only son, Nate, was living with us prior to uh, marrying Megan, his dog was also living with us. His dog drove her a chocolate lab rescue mix. And, um, and I'm a guy that likes cheese. I think cheese goes well just about on everything. And uh, I've been banned from it by my wife and my sister, the nurse practitioner, because it has something to do with cholesterol. I don't know what that means. But nonetheless, I, we used to buy blocks of Monterey Jack, you know, H-E-B. They're really thick and nice. And so whenever I had a hankering for a slab of cheese, I would go to the refrigerator and I would grab it and I would get a knife and I would peel back the plastic. Well, when I peeled back the plastic, Drover came running. It didn't matter where he was in the house. He knew that sound. And he knew that I had a predisposition to give him cheese. So he had this hope that was a certain expectation. And, and, and I would take it out and I would just, you know, cut off a slab and I would go sit down and, and watch the game or, or read a book, whatever I was doing. Well, Drover would follow me and he would just sit there. And he wouldn't beg me. He wouldn't annoy me. He wouldn't do anything really but drool. <laughs> and, but you know how I could tell that he was hoping for the cheese? I could just look in his eyes. Those big brown chocolate lab eyes just looking at me and longing for that cheese and so sure enough I'd break off a piece and, and give it to him he'd wag his tail and he'd sit down again but that was usually the end of the trick uh, from my end uh, but he had a look in his eyes he had this hope he had this certain expectation some of it based on experience some of it based on longing so when we talk about Simeon we're talking about a look in his eyes that when he went to the temple, he had a look that focused on the living God and the promises of his word here in scripture. He had a certain expectation that God would show up and keep his word. That's the look in Simeon's eye. And that's what happens to us when we put our hope in the promises of God's word. We begin to trust him. We see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so he gives Simeon a special word in verse 26. And it had been revealed to him, to Simeon by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. What an incredible message. Can you just imagine the outrageous joy that flooded Simeon's heart when he heard that word? Here he is. He's longing. We don't know how long. We don't know how old he is. But he's got this longing to see Messiah. 
and God gives him that word. As far as he knows, this is the first time in 400 years that God has broken his silence. And we saw how God did that last week with Gabriel and Zechariah. But Simeon wasn't aware of that. So there just had to be outrageous joy in, in so many capacities, so many dynamics to that conversation. As the Holy Spirit informs him, you will see Messiah before you go before you die. Zechariah and Mary, before him, heard from God. Simeon heard from God. And certainly this was one more message that secured the hope of God. God still speaks in our day. He doesn't always speak that directly to us, but he does speak through his word. And that's why we can go to his word to hear his promises. We can go to his word to look with hope to him, believing with certain expectation that he will keep his word. Simeon had great hope in the promises of God. We wait well by placing our hope in the promises of God. And then in the next section, we see the praise that he sets forth by placing his hope in Jesus, in Messiah. Verses 27 to 32, we see that we wait well by putting our hope in Jesus for salvation. We wait well by putting our hope in Jesus for salvation. Now, Jesus is the hope of the world, and there is salvation in no one else. We know that, right? Well, the Holy Spirit directed Simeon to the exact place in the temple where Joseph and Mary were. Now, this is not uh, an empty place. This is like walking into Walmart the week before Christmas. There were multitudes of people there, and Simeon is there. He's looking for Messiah. His heart is longing to see Messiah, and the Holy Spirit guides him directly to Joseph and Mary among all the crowds. They are there. Simon has eyes only for Jesus, and he is now prompted to sing and prophesy. And this is what we see in verses 27 and 28. Simeon came in the spirit, spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he, Simeon, took Jesus into his arms and blessed God and said, he's going to praise God. He's going to adore God. He's going to thank God. Now, think about this for just a moment. They're in multitude of crowds. They're in the temple. Can you imagine Anna Carroll or Heather Lowry allowing us just to walk up to them in Walmart and take little Gannett or little Maddie and say, I'd like to hold them right now. That ain't going to happen. So Joseph and Mary had to feel somewhat accosted, but their head had to be spinning <laughs> for the last nine months anyway. And so they allow Simeon to take the child, Jesus. Simeon blesses God with praise and adoration and, and thanksgiving. And then we read in verse 29, his song begins. Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. Again, he's giving thanks here. The Lord has kept his word. You will see Messiah before you die. And so he says, I can now depart. I can leave the temporary and gain the permanent. This is a man that is talking about death. But he is filled with joy 
because the Lord has kept his word. And because since his life is oriented to faithfulness to God, to doing the mission that God has given him to do, he's willing to die now. Sort of like Paul in Philippians 1, isn't it? I don't know if it's better to, to live or to die, to stay and minister or to depart and be with Jesus. But I'll stay as long as he wants me to, to minister to you. That's where Simeon is at. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't live like that. I tend to get a little fearful when I think about possibly dying because of something. We're challenged right here by the orientation of Simeon's life that we would be those people who are willing to say, Lord, when my mission is complete, take me home. I'm ready to go. He's a person who has hope because he's put his faith in Jesus for salvation. And that defined his life. Well, in verses 30 and 31, we see that Simeon doesn't stop there. He says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Simeon directs his praise to God for his plan of redemption that is now playing out before him. It's beginning to come to fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation, your salvation, that's personified in Jesus. And Simeon is excited. And he's joyful. And he's declaring praise to God. Because God has kept his word, not only to Simeon and allowing him to see Messiah, but to the nation of Israel. So all of these passages throughout the Old Testament about the prophets telling of the coming Messiah are coming true. And, and Simeon knows that it doesn't just have to do with a birth, but it has to do with an entire life and ministry. It has to do with the redemption of the world. All of these thoughts are going through his heart and his mind as he celebrates God's plan of redemption, as he thinks of the significance of the birth of this child, the salvation of the world. And notice how he alludes to the character of God. He says, according to your word, you are so sovereign, God. You are faithful. You are trustworthy. He's able to point out just by talking about what has happened, who God is and his characteristics, your salvation. You have kept your promises. Which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Simeon is excited. And like I said, Zechariah and Mary spoke about the Savior, Jesus. But Simeon has added a new note here. He has said that salvation will be for the entire world. Uh, up until then, any uh, believing Israelite believed that Messiah would come and certainly get rid of the domination of Rome in Israel and restore Israel and redeem his people and lead his people. They didn't think that was for the Gentiles. And Paul described have Jesus. Well, Simeon is declaring right here at the start of the life of Jesus Christ that his salvation will be for all peoples, that he will die for the sins of mankind is what the implication is here. You do this for all people. 
He elaborates in verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light. He is the salvation. The result of that salvation is that there will be a revelation to the Gentiles. You are now included. Something you never imagined could happen. You are now included in the plan of redemption. You will be saved by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and the glory of Israel. Israel, your glory will be restored by Messiah being here and eventually through the millennial kingdom. But even now, just by being restored to your mission, the world will be attracted to Jesus, Messiah. And you will live out your mission. You will accomplish the purposes of God. You will become the way in which the world is blessed. Because Messiah comes from Israel. And because you will tell the world about Messiah. That is what Simeon is referring to here. As he talks about Jesus as the light of the world, the salvation. The key theological point found right here is that to see Jesus is to see God's salvation. You are releasing me. My eyes have seen your salvation. But we know that's true in every life, right? To see Jesus is to see salvation. To trust Jesus is to receive salvation. And that's the point of Jesus coming to earth here and offering salvation. That's why scripture says today is the day of salvation. And I would exhort you, I would implore you to trust Jesus Christ now. It's the best Christmas gift you could ever receive. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You receive eternal life, which is his life lived in you. And he will guide you and lead you. Today is the day of salvation. There's a reason that scripture says that. Because you don't know how long you have on earth. You don't know how long you have to make this choice to trust Jesus Christ in your life. There are two young men whose lives intersected with our family over the years that passed away this week. Both in their 20s. One had epilepsy for about eight years, died unexpectedly. Another came down with seizures and was hospitalized. They thought it might be encephalitis and died in about 24 hours time. They still haven't decided how or why. Now, I don't say that to scare you or manipulate you. I say that because it's true. None of us know how long we have on this earth. And so if you do not yet know Jesus Christ as your savior, I exhort you to receive him. The simplicity of the gospel is this. You simply believe that he is the son of God. He is who he says he is. He died on the cross for your sin in your place. Was buried and rose again from the dead. That's the truth of the gospel. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he forgives your sin and he removes guilt and shame. And he enters your life to lead you. I challenge you to do that if you haven't. And I challenge you as a follower of Jesus, if you have, to be open with sharing the gospel this week especially as you gather with friends and family for Christmas celebrations and gatherings. Jesus has made it so simple. He's the one who said the, the, the verse that we're all familiar with, John three sixteen, for God so that he gave his son so that whoever believes in him will not 
have eternal life, will not perish. Whoever believes in him, simply trusting Jesus Christ, our strength for waiting by placing our
by trusting that one day God will ultimately make all things right. Even though they won't be in this world. Simeon gives us the model of a man who waited well. A man who oriented his life around God's purposes for him. A man who gave us a greater understanding of Jesus and his salvation. And as we close out this portion of scripture, I want us to consider the word wait. And I want us to do that by going back to the Hebrew word, the word that Simeon would have known as he waited on the consolation of Israel, as he looked with longing. God called Israel to wait on him at least 43 times. You can think of some of them. The Israelites waited 400 years. Abraham waited on his son even after he had been promised. There was waiting throughout all of Scripture. Because God puts us in the waiting room. He asks us to delay gratification. That we might wait well and be transformed into Christ's likeness. So I want to look at that word wait. It's a, it's a word that has three concepts before it as we close out. It's the, and the words are wait and trust and hope. Wait, trust, and hope. Those are three are interlaced into the very meaning of wait. Now, there are three or four Hebrew words, but I'm thinking of one in particular, kavah, that has to do with all three of these terms. And I want us to think about them. I want us to look at a passage in Isaiah 40, very familiar passage that I think really brings us out well. But those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if on, they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary, and they walk without growing tired. Those who wait for the Lord's help, those who wait, those who trust, those who hope. I think we'll see as, as we look at these three words that they also bring a source of contentment because that's what we really need when it comes to waiting well. That we don't become impatient because we are content with where God has us. So when you think about the word wait, well, waiting necessitates the passage of time. That's kind of the meaning of the word. And we tend to put waiting in the back of our mind. We don't like to focus on it. We want it to be over with. We want what we want when we want it. But we're called to wait, and that necessitates the passage of time. And then there's trust. Trust necessitates depending on God, leaning into him with a dependence that is real, where we say, God, I need you. God, I am trusting you because I, the resources of the world leave me high and dry. They leave me unsatisfied. I'm going to trust you to keep your word. And trust is necessary because we need the protection, the guidance, the strength, the healing that only God can bring. And so we trust him. And then hope, that third concept in this word wait. Hope necessitates confident expectation. Our hope is not limited to some wish or some desire, like when we check our weather app and try to find out if the picnic is going to be rain-free. That's just a wish or a desire. When we talk about Hope that is biblical, we talk about a confident and certain expectation. One that is anchored in the very attributes of God that allow us to trust him. When he makes a promise, he is good for it. 
broken and imperfect people can exercise our hope in our infinite and perfect God. These three concepts help us understand the word wait, but they don't take place in a vacuum. That phrase right after we wait is to wait for the Lord's help. That's the focus of our waiting. That's the focus of our trusting. He is the focus of our hope. So let me rephrase those three concepts just briefly. That when we wait, we want to wait on God's timing. Just as Simeon acknowledged God's timing and purposes are always right, that acknowledges his sovereignty. When we trust him, we are trusting on God's goodness because he acts for his glory and our good. And he's always going to seek our best so we can trust him as we weave in waiting with trusting. And then when we add hope, we are hoping in God's faithfulness that he will be true to his word, that he will show up and keep his promises that we are relying on whatever it is that day. Simeon has given us a beautiful picture of waiting with hope on Jesus. And that shows up in very practical ways for our lives today. That we might be people who orient our lives around Jesus. That we are willing to do his mission and, and, and no more. And that we are willing to find ways to wait, trust, and hope in him. To commit ourselves to that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call us to trust you. Not only for salvation, Lord, but for daily experience of your power and your provision.